Well, we're certain that the uh, shoe packs are kind of tired of everything. People say things about them, especially like that. But we do want to thank you. You know, this is a family that is an example. And if we're looking for people to stand forth as models of what the Lord would have a missionary be, even a servant of Jesus, this family is a model. We thank you for setting an example for all of us as we seek to follow Jesus and in a way follow you as you follow Christ. I also want to thank everybody who joined us in Christmas caroling last Sunday night. Didn't we have a good time? And God gave us a good evening as far as weather is concerned. And even though yesterday is Christmas and it's time to put away the Christmas carols, I'm not ready to quit. So let's sing some Christmas carols. It came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old. From angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, good will to men from heaven's all gracious King. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconcile. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plain. And the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strain, Gloria in excelsis Deo, Wonderful, wonderful songs, the carols. Well, Christmas Day is behind us, and we're in that strange interlude, it seems, of the time between the times. 
2010 is just about over, 2011 are almost on us, and as we look back at the past year, for some, 2010 was a year of life-changing experiences. For some, as you look at the last year, it was a hard year. For some, it's been a wonderful year. For some, it's just been a routine year. But what's ahead? There seems to be an atmosphere today and in the weeks that surround us that we're in a time of great uncertainty. Seems that the world is, as we've known it, is passing away. Any student of history can very quickly recount the markers that stand out in history as those times in which the world as it was known ended and a new world began. We think of such things as the fall of Egypt, never again to be the great world power that it once was, the very brief reign of Alexander the Great that totally changed the Mediterranean world, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, the uh, Holy Roman Empire, the discovery of America, the Reformation, the Renaissance, on and on we could go. Various markers that clearly stand out as moments and events in which the experience of all humanity was changed and the world never again was what it had been before. As we look at the world in which we're living today, I think most of us have a sense that we're walking on a bridge between the past and the future. And the world as we've known it will never be the same again. For one thing, the former landmarks of morality and the belief systems that have upheld at least our nation are being doubted on all quarters. The dollar is falling in value. The very openness of our democratic society, that openness itself, is being used to bring us down. On and on we could go. We, we think, for example, of, of Islam, which for many centuries was uh, uh, existed in some sort of an enclave in the Mid-East and Africa and a few islands, but today is, is not even within our recent memory do we see Islam rising in an aggressive way, attempting to dominate and take over every society and, and every culture. In 1963, you remember Bob Dylan saying, Come gather around people wherever you roam and admit the waters that around you have grown and they Except that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. If your time is worth saving, you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone because the times, they're changing. <laughs> and the times are changing, not the way that Dylan spoke of them, but really, can't we say, we're in a time in which we're seeing changes in the world as we have known it. There are many, many signs that it'll never be the same again. Now, there are some people that are really excited about the changes. Others are fearful. What's ahead? This morning I want to declare that whatever changes occur, whatever uncertainty awaits us, there still is an unshakable certainty. Eight times in the epistles, we find the assertion, God is faithful. 
Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Today we conclude a season that celebrates a promise, the Advent candle, all four of the red candles are lighted, and in the middle of that, the white candle that symbolizes Jesus, who is the light of the world, that promise, which began after the fall in Genesis 3.15, we find recorded uh, God saying to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise him on the heel. What a vague promise. But as the centuries marked forward, God began to give with greater preciseness that promise. Till in the time of Isaiah, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And for the past four Sundays, we have followed that promise step by step through the ages. So this morning we're in that time between the times. And let us ask this question. Are there promises that we can anticipate with the very same certainty that was demonstrated concerning the promise at the birth of Christ? Has God promised anything to our generation? The answer, yes. (laughs) Yes, He has. This morning, let's reflect on the certainty of God's promises. Before we begin, there's some caveats that we have to offer. First, before we grasp hold of a promise, we need to make certain that it is a promise given to us. Now, if we look back through the years when my boys were little boys, if I'd said to one of them, son, go out and mow the yard, and when you're through, I'll give you $25. Yes, back then it would have been a quarter. (laughs) Matter of fact, my son Jimmy uh, used to mow the church lawn, and Greg used to mow the church lawn. The boys used to mow the church lawn, the whole church lawn, two and a half acres, for sometimes 50 cents. (laughs) But let's say a neighbor boy overheard that promise, and he got excited and mowed his lawn and knocked on my door and said, where's my $25? said, what are you talking about, kid? (laughs) Well, I heard you say, if you mow the lawn, I'll give you $25. Yeah, but I didn't say it to the whole neighborhood. I said it to my son. And there are promises like that in God's Word that are spoken to specific individuals, to specific situations. And yet today we find people taking those promises and stick them on the wall as if God had made a contract with them. We need to make sure it is a promise to us. Let me give an example In the Old Testament, here's a promise that we often 
speak and somehow claim, 2 Corinthians seven fourteen, my people who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now today, there is a ministry that is abroad in the United States that is based solely on that promise, saying God has given His Word. And so if we can get Christians to fast and pray, God will straighten out America because God has promised it. Did you know God never promised that to America? That was a promise to the Jews. Read the context. Listen. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had planned on doing in the house of the Lord and his palace. Then Jehovah appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, if I command the locusts to devour the land, if I send pestilence among my people and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. And as you read 1 Kings chapter 8 and 9 further elaborating on that, it is clear that this is a promise that God made to the nation of Israel. It related to the land and it related to the temple. It is not a promise to us. Now, does that mean that we should not gather people together to fast and pray for America? No. Does it mean that we should not use this verse to encourage us? No. But what it does mean is I can't shake my fist at God and say, you're not keeping your word. Because that's not a word. That's not a promise He has given to us. The same thing is true concerning uh, the passage in Jeremiah that we so often quote, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares Jehovah, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. What's that all about? Well, the people who were in Babylon in captivity, there were certain prophets that were moving among them, and they were saying, you know, really it won't be very long till God takes us all back to uh, Jerusalem, and there we'll see the temple rebuilt, we see everything back as normal. And so the people were disturbed and they wouldn't settle down and they were ill at ease. And so Jeremiah wrote this letter to them and he said, Settle down, build houses, give your children in marriage, pray for the city where you are because I know the plans I have for you and so on. That was a promise to the Israelites that in 70 years God was going to take them back for the time being settle down. Live your lives and pray for the city where you're dwelling. And so we think of a Christian maiden in a Muslim country who is being raped by the Muslim extremists and recite to her, I have good plans for you. And she says, God, you didn't keep your word. That was not a word to her. That was a word to the Israelites who were in the captive, uh, uh, captivity in Babylon. So you see, it's important that before we reach out and grab hold of a promise and claim it, 
and say, God, I claim this promise. And you have to do it. We need to be sure that it is a promise given to us. We also need to be aware of the fact that with the promises of God, there are invariably if clauses attached to them. Again, back to 2 Chronicles 7, uh, 7.16, that my name may be there forever and my heart will be there perpetually. Now, he's talking about the temple. That's pretty firm, isn't it? My heart will be there forever and my, my heart will be there perpetually. That means forever. But read the rest of it. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, even to do according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with your father David, saying, You shall not like a man to be a ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot you from my land which I have given you, and this house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. As for this house which was exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and this house? And they will say, Because they forsook Jehovah, the God of their fathers, who brought them from the land of Egypt. They adopted other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this adversity on them. Now think of that. In 2 Chronicles 7, 16, Jehovah said that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. And you say, wow, that means nothing can change that. But later God says, here's the if clause. Here's the if clause. In the promises of God, there is an invariably an if clause. Here's another one in Genesis 18, 19, where God was talking about the purposes that he called Abraham and, and for that family. I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of Jehovah by doing righteousness and justice so that Jehovah may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him, so that, and that was dependent upon walking in the ways that God had commanded. Now for us today, even though we are saved through faith, by grace, there is an if clause. Colossians 1, and following. Yet he has now reconciled you, us, in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you, us, before him holy and blameless and above reproach. What a wonderful promise. If, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Romans eleven twenty two. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness if you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. Here Paul was addressing 
Gentile pride. Gordon referred this morning to Hebrews 10. You read the wonderful promises of Hebrews chapter 10, verses uh, 19 to 23. But then you have verse 26. But if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. As you read the promises of God throughout Scripture, both the Old and New Testament, invariably there is an if clause. The if clause is important. We need to be sure that we are meeting the conditions. Number three, we also need do not try to force the fulfillment of the promise. That's a tough one for some people. You get even a prophetic word that someone gives you. Oh, this is a prophetic word that God has given me. And so you start striving with that. And you start trying to make it happen. If it is a word from God, it will come about in His time and will not be one second late. If it is not a word from God, it won't happen. So relax and let the Lord fulfill His own word. Of course, in Scripture, the outstanding example of the violation of that principle is Abraham and Sarah. You recall they waited and they waited and they waited and they tried and they tried to have a child and couldn't. And so finally Sarah said, well, maybe I need to help God. So take my handmaiden, have sexual relations with her, she'll bear a child, I'll adopt it, it'll be mine. And we know the horrible results of all of that but that's but an illustration of all of us isn't it when we have a promise in scripture or when we have a prophetic word given we have to be careful that we don't try to help God out and some way manipulate things to make it come about now we have to recognize there's a difference between trying to help God and responsible living Jesus said seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. And he's talking about food and talking about clothing. Thessalonians took an interesting view on that, the second coming of Jesus. They quit working, a bunch of them did. They sat out on the curb. Oh, come Lord Jesus. Uh, I'm, I'm seeking first the kingdom of heaven, so everything's going to be added to me. Whoopee. Of course, they were being supported by those who still work. <laughs> And Paul said, if a man will not work, he should not eat. So responsible living doesn't mean you're stepping across the line and trying to help God fulfill his promise. Some of us who are here can remember years ago, there was a ministry that came to Tulsa, Christ is the answer. Came to Tulsa twice. This is a ministry to young people, street people mainly, although in time they began to pull others into it. If you happen to be a person who owned a house or a car, they would plead with you to join their ministry, sell your house, sell your car, give them the money, and then become a vagabond and travel around the United States with them. Uh, you who were here remember they got arrested at the malls because they were just making a nuisance of themselves. That was kind of a point of pride to go to jail. And the the plea constantly with the leader of that group was listen do you realize what you're doing you're really turning people away from Christ by the way that you are behaving uh, to get them out of town Tulsa Christian Fellowship paid off their debts and said go and don't come back they did come back anyway 
later. And so at one point, uh, Bill Dudney, Gene Griffin, Bill Clark, Tom Moan, Chuck, Bill and I met with this man. And we tried to say to him, dear brother, do you realize what you're doing? And we, he said, well, you can't tell me driving a milk truck is seeking first the kingdom of heaven. What an attitude, you know. What an attitude. The Lord Jesus intends us to be responsible in our living. And if you are responsible in your living, you're not trying to help God. But you are fulfilling the will of God in responsible living. Same thing's true with medicine. God's given us medicine. Every now and then you hit somebody, say, well, you know, I'm not going to take medicine because I'm not going to help God. I'm just going to wait. Oh, Lord, heal me. Thank God for medicine. As Gordon prayed this morning, we thank God for medicine. We thank God for doctors. These are our means he has given. They're blessings from him. And it is through these that he often brings healing. So these are, we, we need to understand we are not trying to help God when we are being sensible and living responsible lives. But it is important that we don't try to force the fulfillment of any promise and also that we look forward to the fulfillment of that promise. Well, what are some of the certain promises that we can claim today? Here's one. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All authority hath been given unto me in heaven and upon earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of every nation, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. That's a promise. When you go forth to tell people about Jesus Christ, as Gordon was saying, regardless of where it is, where you're in the grocery store, where in the drugstore, or if you are in some foreign field or at a football field. <laughs> Anytime you are telling people about Jesus Christ, you are not alone. I will be with you always. And so God is using you, and it is not your sales technique if you really bring people to Christ but it is because God through the Holy Spirit is using you in that. You're not alone. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? And if you have been in places, uh, especially overseas, where in the flesh you don't feel secure at all, in a way it's a blessing because you know it is the hand of God that's carrying you here and carrying you there, and it changes your life to be in that kind of situation where truly... God is with you and using you to accomplish his will, even as Jesus had promised. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be in the midst of them, Matthew 18, 20. Sometimes you're in a meeting, you hear somebody pray, Oh, come Holy Spirit. I say, what a bunch of baloney. You know, Jesus said, if two or three are gathered to my name, there I'm in their midst. Oh, Jesus, we invite you into this meeting. What a waste of words. You know, he's here. We need to say, Jesus, thank you for inviting us into your presence, you see. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be in the midst of them. And that's whether it is in your house with a few believers and you're there in his name, or whether we're in a public meeting like this and we're here in his name, as we have come together as believers, he is in our midst. 
Jesus is here today. Thank God. And one thing we pray about in elders meeting before every service is, Oh Lord, we pray that your presence will be so obvious today that none can walk away and doubt that they have been in the presence of God this morning. That's, I, I urge all of you to pray that. Not that we have a necessarily phenomena, but just the sense of the fact that he is here. Praise his name, because he is, even if we don't sense it. Acts 2.38, repent and be immersed every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Two promises, repent, in the Greek word there is metanoeo, which means change your mind, and Peter had just talked about the fact they'd crucified Jesus, and now God has made him Lord in Christ, so he's saying change your mind about who this, man, who this person is. And then be immersed into Christ. And when you do that, you will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then he said, the promise is unto you and to your children and to many as afar off as many as the Lord our God shall call. If I confess Jesus before men, declaring this is who he is to me, and I'm immersed into Christ, I receive the Holy Spirit. And I am never alone again as long as I am upon this earth, and certainly won't be alone when I leave this earth and go into his very obvious presence. John 1, 9, here's a beautiful promise. If we confess our sins, and Dave spoke of this some weeks ago, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you have lived the last seven days without sin, please stand up. We'd like to find the one person in all history and all universe other than Jesus that has been able to do that. I'll tell you, I sure can't. But you know what? Every day, every hour, I am constantly auditing my life. God is my attitude here, your attitude after a conversation, did my words glorify you? And at night as I go to bed, Lord, what kind of a day did I live before you today? And I thank God that he kind of taps me on the shoulder here and pricks me there. Jim, you didn't quite manifest my personality here. Your words weren't exactly the kind words I would have spoken here. And I can repent and go to sleep in sweet repose <laughs> knowing that that sin in God's record book is totally gone. Isn't that wonderful? That's one of the beautiful things about the Lord's Supper. I'm so glad we have the Lord's Supper every week. And in my lifetime, until the early years at TCF when we didn't do this, I never entered the pulpit without taking the Lord's Supper first. And that was always a moment of cleansing for me so I could enter the pulpit as a pure man with no sins on my record, I could come before the congregation in purity. What a blessing to be able to do that. What a blessing each Sunday we have this chance to acknowledge it is the cross of Jesus that takes it all away. And there's not one thing on our record book concerning our sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whenever the Bible states facts about the future, they are promises 
that in God's timing will come to pass. And what stands out in a more glaring way than the second coming and the resurrection. Now, it's not good for public speecher, uh, speakers. I'm stumbling over words today for some reason. Maybe I'm tired. Too much partying this weekend. But uh, <laughs> tell you the truth, you know what? Going Christmas caroling and singing for an hour and 15 minutes, I was as dead as a dog Sunday night after that was over, still recuperating. <laughs> but let me read... I'm going to violate a principle of public speaking, the speaking this morning. Just read some what I think are marvelous, lengthy passages of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians, beginning in chapter 4, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, And with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Praise His name. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, as to the time and epochs, brethren, You have no need of anything be written to you. You yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. For they're saying, peace and safety. Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. God has not destined us for wrath but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you're doing. 1 Corinthians 15:50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. 
But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not vain in the Lord. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Mark sixteen fifteen, He said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation, he who has believed and has been immersed shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. This is a sure and certain promise. There is a day coming, and we know not when, and there will be that trumpet blast, and Jesus will come. And those have died in this flesh who are his will come with him and those of us who upon the earth will experience a glorification of our bodies these will receive glorified bodies there will come a time in which all will stand before the great white throne and everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life will escape judgment on that day those whose names are not in the Lamb's book of life will be judged according to the deeds done in the flesh. And no deeds done in the flesh will ever be righteous enough to allow one to enter heaven. Their fate is a lake of fire. That's a promise. That's a promise. Now this morning, I thought if we had a number of visitors, we would conclude by singing an invitation song. But since we're all family, that would perhaps be play-acting. But I want to ask every one of us, including this man, are you ready to meet God? Are you ready to meet God? Thank you for his promises of redemption. Thank you for your promises, Lord, that we might know we're ready to meet you. In Jesus' name, amen.